Okay, I'm going to record on my end and then we can get started. Um, all right, I am recording. Um, yeah, I'm Carrie Jr. the second and Happy New Year. We're happy to be back on On the Line and to be bringing you all more stories and conversations from across the Mitten State. This week, I'm talking with a familiar name about a pretty familiar topic. Uh, could you introduce yourself? Okay, sure thing. I'm Kristen Seamus. I am a reporter at the Detroit Free Press. I cover health, uh, which means for the last two years and change, uh, it's all been all about the pandemic and about COVID. That's right. The coronavirus. We're starting the year off talking about COVID because, unfortunately, we kind of have to. With the Omicron variant and a massive surge of cases in the state, there's major questions to be answered. Like, how bad is it? Should I just get Omicron to get it over with? Do we have enough medications to survive? And are new shutdowns inevitable? If we were complying with overall guidance overall, we were, we were still pretty safe. But with Omicron, there is no leeway. But with so many people doing at-home tests, there's no way to get a true handle on how much the virus is spreading. From the Detroit Free Press, this is On The Line. It wasn't too long ago on this podcast that we were talking school COVID cases. So, you know, we played Gross Point South at the beginning of the season, first game, and then we had to sit two weeks out, uh, quarantine, so. And healthcare shortages. We need adequate staffing to make sure that our patients get the care that they deserve and need. And as we approached the end of 2021, Free Press journalist Kristen Jordan Seamus was reporting a rising number of cases in the state. It doesn't really feel like a lot has changed um, in that time now that we're in the new year. Yeah, we're starting off the new year in a really rocky way. Uh, we're coming into an Omicron surge, a surge of a really highly transmissible new variant at a time when we still haven't seen a huge reduction in hospitalizations and cases from the Delta variant, the variant before this one. I interviewed Dr. Bagdasarian, Natasha Bagdasarian, who is the state's chief medical executive. And she's also an infectious disease epidemiologist and, and specialist. And she was talking with us about where we stand in the Omicron surge. Can you talk about where we are right now and, and how we got here? Well, as you know, from looking at the numbers, we're not in a good situation in Michigan. Here's the situation. Michigan on Wednesday reported its highest daily average for confirmed COVID-19 cases since the start of the pandemic. More than 13,000 cases per day over two days. There have been more than 27,000 COVID-related deaths in the state since the start of the pandemic. Our cases continue to go up. Um, we are in a place that uh, I don't think any of us imagined being in a year ago. Um, our percent positivity uh, continues to rise. Our hospitals continue to be overburdened. We've had a slow rise in cases since the beginning of the K-12 school year, followed by a more rapid rise when the weather got colder. All of that was our Delta wave, and, and now we're being hit with Omicron on top of Delta. So how we got here, I think, was really um, people not complying with public health guidance. And we now have a more transmissible variant. The weather is still cold. People are still gathering indoors. And our hospitals are really struggling. 
I'm no epidemiologist, but it seems like transmissibility is the key difference between this Omicron variant and the prior variants. Right. Well, you know, viruses mutate because they want to get a, an edge up. You know, they want the whole point of a virus is to survive. So it mutates to continue to spread um, and they can kind of take over where another variant left off. And, and that's what we're seeing with Omicron. And Dr. Bagdasarian explained a good deal about how Omicron is becoming prevalent. Um, this is a variant that is um, not behaving like the initial strain of of the virus that causes COVID-19, um, which really required people to be in close proximity for um, a longer duration of time. It's not behaving like that at all. This is something that is spreading like wildfire. And I think that one of the misconceptions is Omicron causes mild disease, and so this is not a big deal. Early indications suggest that it's not as severe. It doesn't cause as severe of illness as the Delta variant and, and previous variants of the virus did. But the jury is still out on that. Certainly, there is some data that shows it causes milder disease overall in people who are young and healthy. But there is still great potential for negative outcomes both for those who are elderly, those who are immunocompromised, those who have other comorbidities. We also know that those who are not um, fully vaccinated are likely to have worse outcomes. And so when we look at this as a population and we look at how Omicron is spreading in other places, once we get that level of transmission of Omicron here, it will lead to higher hospitalization rates and it will lead to more negative outcomes just based on sheer numbers. And now is really the time to use these tools that we have. Think masks, testing, vaccines, and quarantining. But there's a catch. It's a great public health failure that the tools are there and they're just not being used in a way to prevent the, uh, the death and um, the other negative consequences of COVID. So, Kristen, regarding the tools that we have at our disposal, what did Dr. Bagdasarian have to say about masks? She was really focusing on two factors when you're looking at, at trying to find the right mask for you. And those two components are fit and filtration. So fit means how well does that mask adhere to your face? Are there gaps where air is leaking through? You want to make sure that your, the air you're breathing is coming through the mask, not around the mask. And the second component is filtration, meaning is the mask thick enough to actually filter out those smaller particles? With previous variants, I think that there was, um, we could be a little bit sloppy. There was, a, there was um, a little bit of leeway. We could make mistakes. And um, if we were complying with overall guidance overall, we were, we were still pretty safe. The types of masks that I'm recommending, especially for poorly ventilated or crowded spaces, are masks like KN95 masks. There are other masks that are being manufactured that are similar in terms of fit and filtration. So if you feel comfortable that it's a mask that's fitting well to your face and it's multi-layered, um, that would be the mask to choose right now uh, with what we're seeing with Omicron transmission. And given that we're seeing this kind of spread and we know that mask wearing is not mandatory in, in, most, in any place in Michigan, Will the state health department change its recommendations here with mandates when it comes to masks, especially at the K-12 level? Currently, school mask mandates are being decided on the local level, not the state level. 
Well, one of the things I can tell you is we continue to look at the data. We continue to see what's happening in Michigan and what's happening elsewhere. With mask wearing specifically, the language and the guidance has been very strong um, since the beginning of this school year and, and even before that. We strongly recommend mask policies in K-12 settings, and then we issued a mask advisory doubling down on wearing masks for everyone in indoor public settings. Um, there seems to be a great reluctance to follow that guidance, um, but my hope is that as people see the effects of Omicron, not just here, but around the world and around the country, that they start to realize this is something that we have to take seriously. Let's talk about those effects a little bit. We're starting to see already things like airline travel disrupted. What else do you envision happening in, in the weeks ahead? I think that there is a possibility for other settings to be disrupted. Um, businesses may be disrupted because of staffing constraints. Um, healthcare, we're already seeing um, that healthcare is struggling um, partially because of staffing constraints and, and lack of staffing and, and numbers of people who are ill. But again, we have the tools. We know how to make these settings safer. Can you talk a little bit more about what the concerns have been for people trying to access testing, what that looks like, and whether or not, and whether that has an impact on the current spread of the coronavirus? So testing is a key component to um, knowing who has the virus, who's contagious and who isn't, and slowing the spread. The issue is that there aren't a ton of tests out there. The federal government and the state government are trying to increase supply of tests, especially the at-home rapid antigen tests, um, but the supplies are limited. The goal would be that if every American had access to tests that they could take before any sort of gathering or any time they had symptoms or after they've been exposed, we really wouldn't see this type of transmission. We're really hoping that working with our federal partners and now the Biden plan to um, distribute half uh, a million tests um, directly to Americans, I'm hoping that that will help. Um, but really, testing needs to be thought of as a, as a much bigger uh, priority, I think, than, than we have made it thus far in the, in the pandemic. One of the issues with testing that we have is that with so many people doing at-home tests, there's no way to get a true handle on how much the virus is spreading because a lot of them aren't reporting their test results to the state health department or the local health department. So you just have to consider that any place you go right now, you may be exposed to the virus. We do know that we are not capturing all tests done in the state. And I think that's the way this is moving. This is no longer an event where there are a handful of cases in the state or a few hundred cases in the state. This is now a disease that we are living with. We'll be right back. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. 
We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. And we're back. Talking with Free Press reporter Kristen Jordan Seamus and Michigan's chief medical executive, Dr. Natasha Bagdasarian, about just how healthcare workers, the government, and individuals are responding to the Omicron surge. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about those quarantine and isolation guidelines and what led state health leaders to sort of reverse course and adopt those shorter quarantine and isolation guidelines that the CDC recommended last week? Last week, the CDC announced it was shortening its recommended number of days for isolating after testing positive for COVID or quarantining after an exposure. And the state said it wouldn't adopt the changes until it had reviewed the supporting evidence while waiting on more information. Then it said it would. Well, I, I would actually love to talk about this and just set the record straight. There, there was no reversal, of course. We, um, we trust the scientists at the CDC. We trust the science. And the intent was always to adopt the CDC guidelines. However, what was issued last week were not a full set of guidelines. Uh, They released a media briefing. And the media briefing didn't have a lot of the nuance that we need to update our guidelines. So there were a lot of questions that our stakeholders were asking about, for example, what do you do with children under the age of two who can't wear masks? What do you do with them after day five? And so the intent was for the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to wait for that full set of guidance. It, it still um, has not been issued. As we move forward, um, and, and we know that we've already had uh, the hospital surges before, is there any indication that government officials will take steps towards stricter regulations? Right. So it doesn't appear as if we are going to see any mandates or any shutdowns for the moment. Um, the public health approach has been really different since vaccines came to market. And it's really been one of personal responsibility of asking people to get the vaccines, to do the right thing, because the data shows that people who have been fully vaccinated are less likely to be hospitalized and to die from the virus. And that includes the Omicron variant. It's not just, you know, previous variants. It's this one too. Um, The Omicron variant, however, appears to be able to break through the two-dose vaccine regimen of Pfizer and Moderna and the single-dose regimen of Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So that's why health officials are recommending booster doses for everybody. And so their, their point is that people can get the vaccine, they can protect themselves, and therefore it's not government's role to force people to do anything. Can you talk about the medications that are available for people? Yeah, sure. We've been able to develop some therapeutics, some medicines that can help people once they contract the virus. And so those are something called, there's monoclonal antibodies, which are synthetically made. That means they're artificially made in a lab, Um, but they are antibodies that help you fight the virus once you have it. Um, So they're given by infusion. 
and you can go to an infusion center and they, they can pump them into your body and it helps your own immune system fight it. And one of the most um, difficult things that we have seen with Omicron is we, um, we have data that suggests that two of our monoclonal antibodies that we had been relying very heavily upon, Regeneron and uh, BAM-Eddy, are no longer effective against Omicron. And so we are left with, um, with one monoclonal antibody, Citrovimab, um, which, you know, reduces our arsenal. And we were very excited for the Pfizer pill, Paxlovid. That's an oral antiviral pill. Studies have shown it keeps high-risk patients from being hospitalized. This is a, a very exciting development to have an oral therapeutic um, that does seem to be effective against Omicron. However, supplies are very, very limited. And we received a small number of courses for the state. We do not have enough to treat everyone who it would be eligible at this time. And they're trying to target that treatment to the most sick, to the people who are most vulnerable um, for severe illness and death from the virus. But our hope is that the supply increases over time. Can you talk a little bit about um, more of the conversation you had with Dr. Bagdasarian in terms of where we are with Omicron and what it looks like for Michigan kind of going forward? Sure. So this is different because we're seeing a huge explosion in cases. Our case rates are going through the roof. We're seeing record numbers of people getting infected with this strain of the virus. And that's likely to continue. We're going to see it wash through huge segments of our population more than ever before. And that includes our little ones. And one thing to consider, I mean, across the U.S. and in Michigan, we're also seeing a record number of pediatric hospitalizations from COVID. And if you look at the population of children in the U.S. and in Michigan, they are among the least vaccinated. Uh, and that's because, you know, for kids up to age five, they can't even get a vaccine. They're not eligible. For children ages five to 11 in Michigan, only 14 or 15 percent are fully vaccinated, so they're vulnerable. What Bagdasarian was saying is that it's very avoidable. If we get vaccines, if we wear masks when we're out in public, if we avoid crowded places and large gatherings, if we just you know buckle down and everybody works together, it can be avoided. It, it, it seems like, you know, we now have to rely on, not that we didn't before, but we even, even more now we have to rely on our neighbors to make sure that they stay home if they test positive, not just that they get tested, but that they stay home, that they don't go to the grocery store because they need food, but they find someone else to help them with that. Um, is that, that's pretty much, it sounds like that's where we are right now in this entire cycle, which to me sounds a little different than before where it felt like everyone was taking the precaution they needed to. It seemed like there was some oversight into what was going on. All the tests were being reported to this date. Right. It's very much an honor system right now that, you know, there's been so much pushback, so much vitriol over mandates that I think there's just not the public sentiment and public support for them anymore. And so I think that's sort of where we are. The state health leaders and, and state leaders are just saying, you know, we're going to leave it up to people to do the right thing and hope they do. What would you say to the people who have been pretty 
good so far throughout the pandemic. They've gotten their vaccine boosted. They've stayed away. And if they go outside, they wear their masks. But at this point, it kind of feels inevitable because of how transmissive Omicron is that they'll get it. They may be thinking, this is a milder variant. This is the variant to get. And maybe I should just let my guard down and be okay to get it. Uh, What would you say to them? You know, it's something that I've even thought about before. (laughs) Honestly, I think it goes through all of our minds at some point. Like, gosh, I remember when the pandemic first started, I thought maybe we should all just get it and then we don't have to deal with it anymore. But as we've learned too, these different variants, it doesn't give you protection against the next variant necessarily. Um, But one thing that medical experts caution is that there's never a guarantee how their body is going to respond to this virus, whether it's Omicron or any other variant. Um, The one thing that is predictable about coronavirus is that it's unpredictable. Another concern that people have to think about is long COVID, the long-term symptoms that some people seem to develop even after a mild illness with COVID. I think about poor little Waylon Worley, and he went into something called diabetic ketoacidosis, and he nearly died. He had a series of strokes, and these were all post-COVID complications. He'll have diabetes for the rest of his life now. And he was only, I think, I think he was seven years old. And then there's just one other thing to think about, and that's that if you're infectious, you're spreading this virus. You are likely to give it to other people. And the idea that you could infect somebody and they could die later on is a pretty big burden to carry. And I would hope that people wouldn't want to try to do that. I would just like to say that one of the reasons, and you asked me at the beginning, Kristen, you said, why are we in this situation that we're in? And I talked a little bit about um, having the tools, but needing to really encourage uptake of these tools. And one of the things I just want to say is that Michigan is in a a particularly difficult position right now. Our vaccination rates are lagging behind the the rest of the country. Um, Our vaccination rates are lagging overall, but particularly when we look at younger age groups and particularly when we look at certain demographics. So what we are seeing is this inequity in terms of vaccine uptake um, that is predominantly affecting some communities that are socially vulnerable and affecting minorities, especially in younger age groups. And it really worries me because when we have that sort of inequity, it's leaving communities, it's leaving socially vulnerable communities at much higher risk as we face Omicron. And so my, my last thoughts are to any readers out there um, who have been on the fence about receiving your, your vaccine or thinking that you're in a younger age group and so perhaps you don't need to get vaccinated. Uh, we really need to use all of the tools we have and we need to start thinking as communities. Um, so perhaps you yourself are not someone who's in a high-risk group, um, but there are people around you who are. And if we can get vaccinated to protect the most vulnerable in our communities, I think it is really um, our civic responsibility to do so. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It was lovely chatting with you. Well, thank you, Kristen Jordan Seamus, as always, for taking the time to talk to me this morning. Thanks so much, Carrie. Take care. You do the same. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks for listening. And if you like the show, leave a rating and subscribe. It really makes a difference. See you next week.